I am truly honored to be able to be here to introduce to you my friend, my mentor. But before I introduce him, I wanna introduce you guys to Rocky. If you've been moved by one of his books, if you've read any of his books, or if God has radically changed your life as a result of reading one of Rocky's books, would you stand up for me? Yeah, thank you, thank you. You may sit down. Speaking of books, the first book he wrote was in 2001. He was a businessman, Northwest Arkansas, selling insurance, life coach, and he decided to meet with seven of his friends. And they talked about how they could abide more with Jesus. Well, what does that look like? So he decided to start jotting some stuff down. He was 55 years old. And in 2001, he published this book, this book is on your table for each one of you to take home with you. A gift from Rocky, from Influencers Global and Influencers Bakersfield. Rocky grew up, you'll find this out, in Laurel, Mississippi. You'll understand when he speaks, you might not be able to understand him because he's from Mississippi. But as a businessman, he was chasing after Jesus. And I don't know about you, but as, you're, as you get older, there's new gifts that God gives each one of you. God gave him the gift of writing. He's written nine books. I've had the privilege of read, reading each and every one of them. And I get the privilege of, of sharing with you a little bit about his story. He was an athlete. He played football and baseball at Ole Miss, played a little bit of professional football. But then his life started to impact. It impacted me. And I know many of the rest of you that are in this room. And how did he impact me? You see, God downloaded to him what he wanted him to write. And there's stories that men can read. They're really small books, and we can read really small books. <laughs> Smart authors write small books. More people read. And so it's my privilege to introduce to you the man who will share with you about his life, about a key phrase, Abide, from John 15, is what we read. Being in proximity of Jesus. So it's my privilege to introduce to you my friend and mentor, Rocky Fleming. Well, from being from Mississippi, I'm an easy target. Now, I'm not going to say good morning because I know what will happen. You'll have the obligatory good morning, right? So let's try a different. Howdy. Howdy. There you go. Now, if I came from Mississippi with my accent then, I'd say hi. <laughs> I've been saying y'all here, and, and we got a few people that are picking it up. 
Thank you for the, the committee that asked me to be a part of this and to meet with many of you. I must say, Madam Mayor, that the city is an amazing city. And I, you probably don't see the things I see when I fly over this and I see the agriculture. I see the, the food basket of this nation. And I, I recognize many of the things I eat back there come from here, and, and I, I look at it and I see it's just a, it's breathtaking, it's beautiful. But then I descend into the city, and I get into the people, and I see the heart of the people. And I say, well, that's home folks there. That's my kind of folks. So when I come here, it's, it's an amazing time for me every time. And I've come here several times. And I'm grateful that Les, who introduced me, I love this man. He is a, a very special man here. I, I know if you know him, you know that to be true. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. But uh, I have to tell you about Les that uh, I'm glad he didn't pick the subject that I'm going to speak on. Because I always get the same subject, and it's been several times where he's had influence on it. It's been... In Canada, it's been out here, it's been several times that they asked me to speak on finishing well. And I, I was wondering, why, why, why am I getting this, you know, the subject of finishing well all the time? And I found out Les was telling everybody that Rocky's old. <laughs> and we need to get him while we can. So thank goodness he didn't do that. I'm reminded of an 80-year-old woman who lost three husbands to death, and she was marrying her fourth. And she was an interesting person anyway, and she was being interviewed by a television uh, reporter and wanted to know something about her life, and she got into her, her marriages and said, well, I understand you've married your fourth husband. Is that correct? Yes, my other three died. Said, well, uh, what did your other three do? said, well, my first husband was a uh, banker. I married him when I was 20 years old. And then when I was 40, I married a, a circus ringleader. And then she says, and then at 60, I married a preacher. And now I've married this latest husband. And she says, what does he do? said, well, he owns a funeral parlor. <laughs> so at this time, the reporter's kind of shaken, and she says, well, well, all these diverse occupations, why did you do that? She said, well, the first one was for the money, the second was for the show, the third was to get ready, and four is to go. <laughs> and she gave the reporter a little wink. And some people, when they get older, they get cute. No, Les, I will not be speaking on finishing cute. <laughs> Don't even go there. Another cute lady was asked, how would you have lived your life differently if you had a chance? Nadine Stare, an 85-year-old woman from Louisville, Kentucky, provided these poetic words to the response. I'd make more mistakes next time. She continued, I'd relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I have been on this trip. 
I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances. I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live sensibly and sanely, hour after hour, day after day. Now, I've had my moments, and if I had to do over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd have, try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another. Instead of living so many years ahead of each day, I've been one of those persons who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, and a raincoat. If I had it to do over again, I would travel lighter than I have. Now, most of you out here don't know what a hot water bottle is. And I had the grandmother who did, and they did it for everything from belly aches to headaches to keeping your feet warm on a cold night. And they leak. <laughs> but what's happening here is Nadine is talking about if she had life to do over, she would she would try to concentrate what is more important than what is urgent. Because urgent matters oftentimes push out the important matters in our life. In his book, Tyranny of the Urgent, Charles Hummel unpacks how urgent matters generally get in the way of important matters. He said urgent matters demand our immediate attention, and unfortunately they keep us from pursuing those things that are in greater importance. I think Nadine had that right. But we also have guidance from Scripture that guides us there, and we see that in Psalms 9012. Essentially saying the same thing. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So I'm not going to talk to you about finishing well. Instead, I want to talk to you about if I had life to live over. Now, I'm not talking to you about a guy who is old and saying, I'm giving you my last parting shots, right? I'm talking to you, a guy that I'm planning on living, I'm planning on serving, I'm planning on encouraging, I'm, going, I'm planning on pointing the way to Jesus for the rest of my days, the rest of my breath. But I can live life over if I learn from the past. And I bring it forward to what I will do from this point on. Perhaps some of you will have that as well. I hope so. If I use Nadine's logic, being from Mississippi, I wouldn't say I'd eat more ice cream. I'd say I'd eat more fried chicken and more fried catfish. But if I'd done that, I wouldn't be here at 75 years old talking to you. I've been gone. <laughs> so I don't guess that would work. So I have to understand that I'm not living life over to indulge what I didn't get. I'm living life over to learn from mistakes. I'm learning... I'm living life over to try to live a more significant life for reasons far greater than what I did that first part. So I'd like to do this, if I may. I'd like to settle in on what I would do over with what I know now, who I know now like I know him, how I know people like you better, and I'd like to give you my list. So here goes.
If I had life to live over, I would spend more time listening than talking. I've said many words that I've regretted, but you know, it's interesting that I, I've never regretted something I chose not to say. I have found that every man and woman has a story, and every story deserves to be heard. And if I listen, maybe I can hear their story and enter where they are and build relationships a lot better. Possibly by being a better listener, I can become a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better friend, and even a better enemy. Because if I'm willing to sit down and listen to anybody who has something against me, then perhaps, perhaps an enemy can become a friend. And that would be a good thing. If I had life to live over, I would want to be a better listener. If I had to live life to live over, I'd be concerned more about the health of my soul over the health of my physical body. I believe, personally, I've seen this, I, I do believe with all my heart that wisdom and character and peace originate in the soul of a person. Too often we treat ourselves and others at the surface level of life when in fact a healthy soul bubbles up into all of our life. And this is where spiritual, mental, and even physical health is fostered from a healthy soul. As a friend, as a family member, as an employer, as a counselor, and as a minister, I would go there first and foremost in a person if I have influence in their life to help them find a healthy soul. Wouldn't helping somebody else have a healthy soul even more so than what I want for myself? Reinvesting my life in somebody else to find something that I want? I think that that would please God, don't you? I believe that would bring a smile to Jesus. And if I had lived life to live over, I'd love to bring more smiles to him. That would be my objective. If I had life to live over, I'd be more concerned about the health of my relationships than being justified to maintain that I am always the one that's right. I'd want to be a, a leader in reconciliations rather than feeling justified that a conflict has to be maintained because I am right and they are wrong. Someone has to lead out with being a reconciler, and I'd like to be that person if I had life to live over. I know that Jesus Christ, the giver of peace, became my reconciler to God, and he gave me peace. He initiated it. He came after me. He sought me out, and he extended his hand to me. Should I do anything less in my relationships when I know it pleases Jesus to do this? When I deserve to be justly punished for the wrongs that I had done against him, did not God give me mercy to help me get beyond my mistakes? When I deserved eternal separation from him, did he not give me grace so that I would not be separated from him anymore? He brought me into his heart and he began a loving relationship with me. 
that created a change in me. I felt his love, his compassion, and was given a relationship I longed for. Can I become an extension of his love and mercy and grace to others, even to those who I don't think deserve it? Can I be a reconciler to others as Jesus has been to me? Can I become a catalyst for change to my world around me simply by loving others like Jesus loves me? I believe that that would make Jesus smile. And like I said, if I had life to live over, I want to bring Jesus more smiles by the way I live my life. An interesting quote by Mahatma Gandhi, who was not a Christian. He was not a Christian but he had to be an admirer of Jesus because he saw his life. And he made this observation, it is a first-class human tragedy that people of the world who claim to believe in the message of Jesus, whom they describe as the Prince of Peace, show little of that belief in actual practice. Hmm. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. If I had life to live over, I would want words such as these to remind me to be a good representative of Jesus rather than a false picture that is often presented in our world. For instance, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Brad, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I would want to be a peacemaker, a real peacemaker if I had life to live over. I have discovered that there's a big difference in being a peacemaker and a peace lover. Being a peace lover is nothing new. Everyone wants peace for themselves, even at the cost of others' peace. But a peacemaker, the kind that Jesus speaks of, is often required to leave his or her comfort zones, our own peace-loving space to be a peacemaker for others. It takes courage and humility and depth of character to consider other needs before our own. It takes being inconvenienced. It takes truly understanding what the word understand means, which means to get down and stand under. If I had to live life over, I'd, I'd want the courage to stand under and be a peacemaker for others instead of just seeking my own peace, love, and space. Maybe that desire is now being lived out. I've had a chance to see it in action, and believe me, it, uh, sometimes we're challenged to leave our peace, love, and space to give somebody else peace. When I was putting this thought together, as God does with me, he often says, okay, let's teach you what that means. And my wife and I are going our merrily way through a, a southern uh, Missouri place that has a city after its name, but there's no city. It's just a, a highway that goes through there with shops on right and left. And, and, and you've seen it before, 65, 50, 40, 30, 40, 30, right? And it all happens within distance. And you, you, unless you put your brake on, you're going to coast into it. 
And I've been very careful to watch for that when I go down to Texas and various other places because the small cities, well, you know what it's like. You know what it is. And, uh, and sure enough, I was coasting in, and I looked down, and there was over here, there was a, a policeman that was giving a ticket, and I said, oh, my goodness gracious, I'm breaking. I'm over, I'm over 30 miles. There's the sign. And I started to break, and all of a sudden I looked back, and I was lit up. He pulled me over. I looked at my speed, and man, I was I was breaking the speed limit. That's 15 miles an hour over. He told me, and I said uh, he came up and as our policemen have to do, you need to understand this that they're in danger, and he had to get to the back here. And he's looking at me, and he's keeping his hand down here near his holster. And uh, he says, uh, "You know, you're over the speed limit." I said, "Yes, sir." They said, you were going this. I said, I know, I saw it. I didn't realize it, but when I saw your lights, I looked down, and I was there. He said, well, give me your license, and give me your insurance card, and give me your registration. I said, okay. I gave it back, and he was going back. And, you know, this guy right here, you know what I was feeling, right? I, I didn't have peace. <laughs> And, and, and I had peace before that. I was having a real peaceful experience with my wife. And we were at a grocery store, and it's, uh, she got up and left and went to the grocery store in the parking lot when I was getting my ticket out there. <laughs> and he went back, and he got it all written up and everything, and he came back, and he gave me my ticket. And, of course, he said, Darkie, you can come back to court, which is... 100 miles away, or you can pay the ticket and send it in, and you can plead your case and this, that, and the other. And I said, what am I going to say, not guilty? I'm guilty. I broke the law. I saw it. I see it. And he said, well, this is that and the other. And I said, look, that's fine. I said, uh, yeah, I hate my wife's not here. And I have to tell you that this thing was going on in me while he was writing that ticket. I know he's coming back with it. I knew what he's going to say. It's been over 20 years since I've had a speeding ticket, but I knew what it's going to be like. And, and he was going to tell me the things that are legally need to be said. He's going to kind of read me rights about a speeding ticket. And I, uh, my wife has this thing going on with her every time she sees a police officer. Every time. Every time. She goes up to them, and she looks at them in the face, and she says, I want to tell you something. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you. I know you're in danger. I know you're not really respected in a lot of ways, but you're needed. And I want to tell you that I'm praying for you. And every one of those police officers say, you can't tell me. You can't, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I need this. And so... Uh, I'm thinking about this, and God's talking to me, which he does. He said, okay, what are you going to do about this? So the, the police officer comes back. He gives me my ticket, and then I say, can I talk to you just a second? He said, yeah. So I knew that I was getting ready to have to leave my peace-loving space to give somebody else peace. I knew it. I knew God was talking to me. He was saying, okay, bud, put up or shut up. And I said, well, I want to tell you about what my wife does. Hey, she's not here because this is what she would do. I said, so I got to represent her. 
And so the first thing I want to tell you is that, listen, I don't blame you for what you did. You, you, you were doing your job. It's your job. And I was wrong. And the ticket is justified. And I'll pay the fine. So that's a done deal. I said, but I would like to do something, if I may. Because my wife would be here, and she'd tell you how much she's praying for you. And would you be okay with me if I prayed for you right now? Pray a blessing on you. Ask God to help you. Keep you safe. Keep these other officers safe. Keep your family safe. Would God do that? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, he started out back here like this looking at me. He gave me my ticket, and then now I'm giving him peace, and he's like this here with me. And I said, what's your name? He said, I'm Robert. I said, Robert, you mind if I put my hand on you and, and pray for you? He said, yeah, put it right here. I said, okay. So I prayed for him, and I prayed for his safety. I prayed for his peace. I affirmed him. Because God was saying to me, leave your safety net of peace that you got here and give somebody who needs peace. Now, my wife goes to the police officers. I go to firemen because my father was a fireman and he was killed one month before he's retired. And so I think all of us have special interests, don't we? And I would challenge you to be a peacemaker to those people that are around you. Maybe God is inviting you to there. But I have found this, that I sometimes confuse God's peace with a semblance of peace that the world gives. They're different. And until I understand the difference, I'll always think peace is only found in good times and good circumstances. Now, I've seen some poor people, if socially outcast people, living in the worst of the worst conditions but still have incredible peace. When asked how they can have so great a peace and be so needy, I've heard their response. Here's what I heard. You don't understand. We are not needy. We are only dependent. God keeps us ahead of our need. We are simply dependent on him, and he always takes care of us. This joy, this brings us joy and gives us a peace and assurance that our conditions will not take us from Jesus' love and care for us. If I want that kind of joy and peace in my life that I live over, I would want to understand what makes these people tick. What have they found? For the cheap substitutes I've had filled my life, the first go-around didn't do it for me. The truth is I have found this peace before it was too late. But I would have want to have found it earlier in my life and perhaps a lot of fear-based decisions that I made would not have been made. Fear-based mistakes that I made would not have made because the peace of God would have made its way into my life, in my thinking, in the way I deal with things. When I read about the many Christians in history that have been stoned, fed to animals, crucified, tortured, raped, and murdered, but still keep their peace, I come to see how circumstantially driven my concept of peace is. I've seen some rare people who have weathered very difficult times but still keep their peace. They didn't give up on their belief in God's sovereign reign over their lives and circumstances. 
This hope and trust in the Lord of peace gave them peace, his peace. I want to know better what makes these people tick. And if I can find a peace like theirs that surpasses all understanding, if I live life live over again, I would want this. I kind of think I know what drives these people's perspective. It's a thought and a reminder that we might all adopt and keep it at the forefront of our daily perspectives. It is this. God is with us. He is present in our life. Though it seems sometimes that he is not. He is ever-present, and his grace will be sufficient for whatever we face if we will seek it from him, and this hope gives us peace. If I had life to live over, I would seek peace with God more than any other peace that I would seek. For therein lies the key to finding true peace and giving it to others. I've got to believe this would be a good thing if I had life to live over. We live in a world that longs for peace. There are many who are peace seekers and many peace lovers, but there are very few peacemakers. Maybe as God's family, we're going, to, going about it wrong. Instead of seeking peace for ourselves, which is a common pursuit, maybe we need to be seeking for others instead. Maybe we need to find our peace not by circumstances or what other people give us, but rather what Christ gives us and what can in turn throw through our life, flow through our life to others. This is when we become the kind of peacemakers that Jesus spoke of. This is when we are blessed exceedingly. For as God's sons and daughters, we have the benefit of pleasing him and fulfilling our purpose along with finding his peace. His peace is not as the world gives but as the world, not but only he can give. I had another situation came up just a short while ago in my peaceful little area of northwest Arkansas. I was getting gas, and I looked over the service station. I was at the service station. I looked at another thing, and there was an interaction that was going on. I think what happened, there was a, a, a person who had ran out of gas, and he was going around asking for a gallon of gas. He looked like he probably would be an immigrant if I were to Gas, out of gas, he went over to a lady over here. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the other man over here saw that. Said, here, I'll do it. Bring your car over. I'll fill it up. Now, that was a generous gesture, but what happened at that point, he began to ask this woman, have you ever been in any need? Why won't you do something? Why won't you help this person out? I mean, he was highly indignant. He was shaming her, shaming her, shaming her. And she was coming back, and the, and the language on this thing just ratcheted up. And then we have the husband gets out of this car to defend his wife. And I'm watching this. I'm standing here watching this, and this, they're going like this to each other, the, the, the loud cursing everywhere. Now, the profile of these people was not a gang. They were not tattooed up heavily. These were people that probably went to church together. I'd say they were in their 50s, men in their 50s. But they were so highly charged with emotions. And both of them, some ways, were right. And both of them were wrong with what was happening. 
and they were moving closer and closer, and it was going to, it was going to be a fight. And in this day and time, listen, we live in that type of society. If somebody could pull out a gun, that's where it happens. And they were close. I looked at this, and it just came out, stop. And they looked at me, and I said, please stop. Nothing good can come from this. Turn around, go to your cars, and leave. And to my, my surprise, they both just went, Oop. They turned around, they got in the cars, and they left. Somebody has to be a catalyst of change. Somebody's got to be a peacemaker that takes that side, takes that side, brings them together and say, stop, stop. Nothing good can come from this. Let's be at peace. It's going to have to be somebody that's willing to step up and be a peacemaker. Charles Spurgeon wrote a great suggestion for those who want to be peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And one sure way of peacemaking is to let the fire of contention alone, neither fan it nor stir it nor add fuel to it, but let it go out by itself. Begin your ministry with one blind eye and one deaf ear. So I'm thinking, what in the world is he saying here? Then I got to thinking. I think he's saying don't let those without peace keep us from giving peace to them. Be blind and deaf to this influence. Don't let a world without peace keep us as God's children from being peacemakers. Let us tune out the poisonous rhetoric that bombards us with this message that discourages us and tells us how we're to act and instead tune into our peacemaker and allow his peace to invade our world through our lives as his peace flows through us to those around us who are without his peace. Then, then we can become his peacemakers to our country and our world that longs for this peace. Then we turn our prayers for peace into actions that become an answer for our own prayers. We must show our world around us the way to find peace that we desire by finding itself, ourselves and then helping others find the source of our peace. As I close my message on allowing peace to reign in our lives, I must say from my own and others' personal experience that becoming a peacemaker will often take us on a journey through discouragement until we find it. We will be tested, such as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was tested, he wrote a poem concerning peace from the depth of discouragement, actually. One of my favorite Christmas carols was written from his poem. Let me tell you what Longfellow was going through when he wrote it. Two years before writing his poem, his, poem, his beloved wife was killed in a tragic fire. Longfellow himself was burned badly while trying to extinguish her burning body. He was still grieving her death, and it was now 1863 when the Civil War was waging. Longfellow's son was critically wounded at the Battle of New Hope Church, Virginia. This threw Longfellow into a deeper depression, but there is still hope 
of peace for our tortured minds to be found, but not as the world gives, rather with how Almighty God breaks through our reliance on the ways of the world that gives us a semblance of peace. It is in such times that our hearing of God is at its, is at its best. The noise and clutter of those things around us that do not matter are drowned by the hope of the gospel, the hope of peace that our tortured minds seek to find, and the hope that our sovereign God is still on his throne. I told you of impoverished people who have found such hope and peace in spite of their circumstances. Longfellow, on December 25th, 1865, found this hope and peace as well. He woke with the same depression, but he also woke to the sound of church bells ringing around the land celebrating the birth of Jesus, even while cannons being fired was heard in the distance. Somehow this reminded him that all was not lost and that God is still on his throne. As a result, he wrote a poem that day, and his poem gave birth to the carol that we sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. So allow me to close my message with a few of the lyrics of this Christmas carol about hope and peace. Listen to and feel, feel, feel the human drama going on in Longfellow's life. Feel and embrace the truth that as God's family, we are called by him to be dispensers of peace after we find it ourselves. We are to be the reconcilers, the peacemakers, the hands, feet, and heart of Jesus. For after all, he is the Lord of peace, and our world sorely needs his kind of peace. Perhaps this will give you a peace that you've been seeking. Here's what Longfellow wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells are ringing like a choir they're singing. In my heart I hear them, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now listen to this next stanza as Longfellow invites us into his world at that point. And in despair, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the bells are ringing like a choir singing. Does anybody hear them? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. As if to accentuate what he had just learned and what had come into his life, he then states, then rang the bells more loud and clear. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What is the outcome for this hope? Well, he tells us, then ringing, singing on its way, 
the world revolve from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells, they're ringing, peace on earth. Like a choir, they're singing, peace on earth. And with our hearts, we'll hear them, peace on earth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. As if he were sitting here now, standing here now, he would be saying this to you and me. Here are his words. Do you hear the bells ringing? The life the angels are singing. Open up your heart and hear them. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. May it be that you and I become those bells in the choir that's singing and praying that peace will fall over our country and the world we live in. It is for a time such as this that God's people have been raised up. Let us embrace our sacred responsibility to be his peacemakers to our world around us and prove to be his children. And let this peace begin in our lives today. Oh,